people usually get a little bit into this, oh, is it like hard work or is it luck? But actually, it might not be an either or. It might be we can work really hard to have more luck. And what I mean by this is we can build a muscle for the unexpected. We can train ourselves to have more accidents being meaningful and more meaningfulness in accidents. And so essentially, when we're saying the unexpected happens all the time, if we want to see it, right, then we can train this. We can also train ourselves on how we connect the dots, what we do with this. That's Christian Bush, the author of The Serendipity Mindset, The Art and Science of Creating Good Luck. I'm your host, Patrick McGinnis, and this is FOMO Sapiens, part of the HBR Presents Network. We live in a world of overwhelming options, and whether you're an entrepreneur, an executive, or just someone who wants to make the most out of your time and money, committing to just one thing can feel impossible. That's called FOMO, and it's short for fear of missing out. How do I know? Because I coined the term. Welcome to FOMO Sapiens, the show where I ask entrepreneurial thinkers how they make personal and professional decisions in a world of overwhelming choice. FOMO. FOMO. Welcome to the season four finale of FOMO, FOMO Sapiens. It has been quite a season and it's one that has tested all of us, but I hope you've noticed that there's a constant theme that ran through all of the episodes this season. And that theme is how can we make better decisions to live fuller, more entrepreneurial lives? Because that is a life skill I want every FOMO sapiens to draw on right now. And in doing so, you can be optimistic even when times are tough. And that's why I want to end this season on a note of optimism. Have you ever considered just what is the role that luck plays in life or wondered whether it's possible to create your own good luck? My guest today, Dr. Christian Bush, has spent a decade thinking about those two questions and he's even developed a science-based framework for individuals and companies to create and then leverage positive accidents. He's also the director of the Global Economy Program at NYU's Center for Global Affairs, where he teaches purpose-driven leadership, impact entrepreneurship, and social innovation. And in a FOMO Sapiens first, we actually met in person, outdoors for a socially distanced interview. So it was just good to see somebody's face again. And Christian had a ton to say, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy hearing his take on serendipity. And then stick around for the full moment of the show. I got a really interesting email this week I want to share with you from a listener who was talking about how the rules of math and physics drive human behavior. So we'll unpack that and also talk about how you can apply that to serendipity and luck. But before we go there, I have a little bit of housekeeping to do with you. Since this is the end of the season, I'll be taking a little break before season five, but I will still be thinking and sharing and having conversations on places like Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter. And so I want to make sure we're all connected. You can find me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at PJ McGinnis. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, It's very easy to find me there. And you can always email me at letsconnect at patrickmcginnis.com. I love hearing from you. I respond, I promise, to your emails. And I love connecting with you on social media. So message me. Let's let's talk about FOMO. Let's talk about what's going on in your life. Let's talk about what you want to hear on the next season of FOMO Sapiens. Second, I want to thank you for spending these last 19 weeks that were crazy with me during season four. A lot has happened, and I wanted to offer you a thank you for keeping me sane for the past few months, especially during the launch of my book, Fear of Missing Out, Practical Decision Making in a World of Overwhelming Choice. Here's the thing. I am grateful, very grateful to Amazon for being such a great partner to me. And I know at the same time that physical retail is struggling right now. So I wanted to find a way to help out the bookstores. And that includes the big ones like Barnes & Noble that are also struggling. So if you buy a copy of Fear of Missing Out, my new book from a retailer, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstore, can be online, but support one of these other alternatives beyond Amazon. If you buy a book from one of them, I will send you a signed book plate 
made out to you or somebody in your life who would enjoy the book. And you can just stick that book plate on the inside of the book. It's actually perfectly designed. My publisher made it just for this purpose. And there you go. Voila, you have a signed book. So email me at letsconnectatpatrickmcginnis.com. Just tell me what you want to say, and I'll send you that signed book plate. And one disclaimer, this is for North America only. All right, with that done, let's move on to the interview. Now, as I mentioned, Christian's book is called The Serendipity Mindset. So I wanted to start out by asking him just how he defines the word serendipity. When we think about luck, we always think about this kind of luck that is all about the blind luck, right? So uh, inheritance or something that just happens to us. But actually, when you look at it as something that you can influence, something that is kind of smart luck, that's when we kind of somehow can you know, start controlling it. And so to me, serendipity is really that kind of smart luck that's about seeing something unexpected and then connecting the dots. So Christian, this is a concept that is very much connected into your life. Why did you decide to write about serendipity? What was the spark that got you interested in this topic? Well, I haven't, I've had an experience early on in life that made me realize how quickly life can be over. So a kind of car crash where, you know, I was almost killed. And it was this kind of moment where I asked myself a lot of questions, like if I would have been killed, was it all worth it? Did I do anything meaningful? And at that point, I had to say, well, not really. Right. And so essentially, it took like it put me on this intense search for meaning and trying to figure out what is life really about and, and you know, trying to figure out what, what can I do in this life. And so I started out as a community builder and when building communities, one of the beautiful things that seemed to happen when people came together and really enjoyed themselves was like that people would always be like, oh my God, such a coincidence, such a coincidence, such a coincidence. And so serendipity popped up everywhere. And so I got really excited about it. And, and in a way, we developed then some of our communities into that direction of essentially being serendipity accelerators. But then essentially, you know, my inner, um, you know, inner imposter kind of pushed me more towards academia, trying to figure out like, how do we, what are the patterns behind developing impactful networks and all these different things? And to my absolute delight, what I thought would be independent from the kind of serendipity in practice actually turned out to, you know, be there all the time. All the kind of most successful, purpose-driven, inspiring people somehow intuitively cultivated serendipity. And so what I got really excited about was to say, let's bring this together. Let's bring together what is my own life philosophy of how I live life, how I practice, how I have my daily rituals with what my research seems to say, which is that the most inspirational people intuitively built that. And so the question was, what is a science-based framework for cultivating serendipity? And what are tangible exercises that we can use to work out our serendipity muzzle. You're so right about the fact that our lives, of course, we think that we have control, right? But uh, recently I had on the show Bruce Feiler, who wrote the book Life is in the Transitions, and he talks about these life quakes that change our lives. And it doesn't have to be a life quake. Things happen to us every day. And so good things happen, bad things happen, but we don't necessarily think about the fact that many times the things we end up doing in our lives are by chance. And obviously, anybody who knows the story of FOMO knows I didn't create FOMO thinking it was going to become a book and a podcast, but here we are today. I leaned into the serendipity. I saw it happen and I thought, you know, how can I connect these dots and then actually do something with this? So, so you write that the greatest opportunities for individuals and organizations alike are often a matter of serendipity. So explain what you mean when you say that. Essentially, when we think about, you know, take that situation of how you might have met your co-founder or your life partner, right? It might have been that moment where you're in a coffee shop, you spill coffee over the other person, and you're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Um, I'm so sorry. And now you have two options, right? Yes, that's unexpected that you spilled the coffee. 
Now, either what I used to do a lot in my life was that I would then be, oh, I'm sorry, and then I would move on with my life, and then I would go out of the door and I would be like, oh my God, I should have talked with this person. This could have become like, you know, this this could have become a person I would have spent more time with, X, Y, Z, versus like really talking with a person, identifying overlaps, and then serendipitously kind of getting into, into a relationship. And so um, what, what I mean with this is really that when we think about the formative experiences, what, what you just mentioned is life quakes, right? Um, like, like finding that person we love, finding the co-founder, um, having the coolest innovations happen, whatever that is, a lot of times they come out of those moments. And so to give you an example in the company, I mean... I, one of my favorites is a Chinese company I used to work with, or I, I still work with, which is a white goods company. And they had farmers call them up. And the farmers were like, hey, look, we're trying to use your washing machine here, but it always breaks down. Like, why is it such a crappy washing machine? <laughs> you know? And so they were like, why, why is it breaking down? Well, we're trying to wash our potatoes, but somehow it doesn't seem to work. And so what would we usually do? We would say, well, don't wash your potatoes in a washing machine. It's a clothes washing machine, right? They did the opposite. They said, well, this is unexpected. But you know what? There's a lot of farmers in China who probably have the same problem that they want to wash their potatoes somewhere. And so they built in a dirt filter and made it a potato washing machine. Again, there was something unexpected they, they saw, but they connected the dots to a bigger problem. And that is when you look at innovation more closely, when you look at things like Viagra, when you look at all the kind of interesting things that are out there, um, at least 50% of those are serendipitous. Wait, wait, wait. You just mentioned Viagra, Viagra, as I call it. <laughs> you can't just leave that one hanging there. So why don't you, <laughs> why don't you unpack that for me? So it was one of those kind of moments where essentially, you know, you had a couple of researchers who were testing with people, you know, an angina medication, and they, uh, you know, saw some kind of movement happening in male participants' trousers. And, you know, what would we usually do? We would say, well, you know, this is embarrassing, or um, let's try to find a better way to, you know, without side effects, uh, test out this thing, which, you know, supposedly was to, to cure angina. They did the opposite. They said, look, this is unexpected that it's happening, but there's a lot of men out there who might have a problem in that department. So why don't we essentially develop the medication towards that? And so that is how Viagra evolved as a medication for, you know, creating movement in that department. And so this lucky thing happens and then people spot it and they build a huge business out of it. So I know that you've taken a science-based approach to this, which is really, I think, important to substantiating your case. And as you think about the research that you've done, how much of our success is based on luck versus just really hard work? What percentage? Do you have a percentage for me? People usually get a little bit into this, oh, is it like hard work or is it luck? But actually, it might not be an either or. It might be we can work really hard to have more luck. And what I mean by this is we can build a muscle for the unexpected. We can, we can, we can train ourselves to have more accidents being meaningful and more meaningfulness in accidents. And so essentially when something like this happens, right, like farmers calling us up randomly or um, in the Viagra case, like kind of a movement happening or so, like when we essentially expect the unexpected, when we're saying the unexpected happens all the time, if we want to see it, right, then we can train this. We can also train ourselves on how we connect the dots, what we do with this. We can, you know, build a lot of things around this. And so to give you an example, one of my favorites when it comes to how do we create a bit of serendipity is, you know, this kind of dreaded like conversation when you meet a new person, probably nowadays on a Zoom call, usually at a conference, but you know, this dreaded what do you do question, right? And someone's just like, oh, what do you do? And so, you know, we could now say, oh, I'm running a podcast or I'm running a company or whatever it is. But actually, so Ollie Barrett, who's a wonderful entrepreneur in London, what he does is he would say, well, I'm running an education company. 
but I recently started reading into philosophy, but what I'm really excited about is playing the piano. And so what he did here is he set three hooks. He gave you three potential dots where you could be like, oh my God, such a coincidence. We just started a piano matinee session thing. You should come by. Or, oh my God, such a coincidence. We just started a platform for philosophy. The point here is that by setting potential hooks or by putting potential triggers out there that could cause serendipity, we can make it happen more often. But also then again, if we then essentially do a lot of other things around this and build that muzzle for it, it just happens more uh, more and more. And that's why I'm a big fan of essentially a couple of like small behavioral changes like this where we say we just ask questions a bit differently or we, we, we have meetings slightly differently. And you will see that serendipity starts happening all the time once we believe it's there, once we have a couple of behavioral things that that we do, but also once essentially we build that into the culture of a company. And I think it's particularly important to remember that when you're doing this, when you're giving people these hooks, you're also, of course, defining your life in a nuanced and multifaceted way. And one of the things we talk about on this show a lot of times is you're not just one thing anymore. It's this life as, you know, the business card that you carry around being the definition of who you are. That doesn't correspond to reality. You don't have to do that. In fact, you can live a much better life if you get into the gray and the complexity of life and remember that you're more than just that thing on your business card. So I, I love that way of thinking about the world as, as your sort of entree to other people. Now, Christian, I want to focus on two elements of serendipity today where you can give us tools to actually cultivate the kind of serendipity mindset that you talk about in the book. So let's start with spotting serendipity. How do you spot it? A lot of things happen every day. How do you find those those moments in your in your life? There, there's a couple of ways, but um, let me start with a with an example of an experiment that I think uh, shows us a little bit about how much it is about that kind of open mindedness. Um, so they did an experiment with um, uh, two people: one who self identifies as extremely lucky, and one who self identifies as extremely unlucky. And you know, the like the the unlucky person would say, "Oh, like." bad things always happen to me, accidents always happen to me. And the lucky person would say, well, you know, good stuff usually happens to me. And so now they say, okay, walk down the street, go into the coffee shop, grab a coffee and sit down. That's it. That what they don't tell them is there's a lot of hidden cameras, you know, along the street and the coffee shop. And in the coffee shop, there's only one empty seat. And that seat is next to this extremely successful businessman who can make a lot of things happen. Now, they also don't tell them that they put a five pound note in front of the door of the coffee shop. Now, the lucky person walks down the street, sees the five-pound note, picks it up, is excited, goes inside, orders the coffee, sits next to the businessman, has a nice conversation, uh, exchanges business cards. There might be an opportunity coming out of it or not. We don't know, but that, that's it for now. Now, the unlucky person walks down the street, steps over the five-pound note, goes inside, orders the coffee, sits down, ignores the businessman. That's it. Now, at the end of the day, they ask both, so how was your day today? And so, you know, the lucky person says, well, it was amazing. I made two new friends, businessman, the barista, and I found money in the street. And we don't know if an opportunity comes out of it, but it wouldn't be unexpected, right? The unlucky person just says, well, nothing really happened. And, you know, it's kind of really, that's the starting point of saying, at the end of the day, this idea that we believe that we can create our own smart luck and that we are open-minded to these kind of questions is already a huge step because it is all about how we frame the world. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. 
you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to netsuite.com slash FOMO. That's netsuite.com slash FOMO. netsuite.com slash FOMO. Now, Christian, one of the things that I'm thinking as you talk to me is it sounds really great for somebody who is an, an optimistic, extroverted person, which I think I'm getting a sense that both of us are. But I imagine some people are listening and they're just like, well, you know, that, these guys, they're so extroverted and optimistic. Maybe I'm a pessimist and I'm introverted. So is, how do you think about that in the context of people who, who may not want to talk to the barista? How do they still create these moments? It's a great question, especially on two levels. A, that a lot of times extroverts need an introvert to really reflect with them on those kind of things, right? So someone like me, right, I have so many opportunities kind of like just popping up because I'm, I'm curious about people and then people share their ideas and everything else. And I need a filter, right? I need something that tells me, oh, this is, this is something valuable to follow up on versus this isn't. And so I felt my more reflective friends to be much better at this than any kind you have, of... You have FOMO, by the way. That's what that is. Just that so is you know. probably, yeah, constantly, constantly FOMO. And then also FOMS, like the fear of missing out uh, on serendipity. Um, but, but, but it's essentially, I think, what I've, what I've been fascinated by is really the question of how both as an introvert you are essentially that kind of person who can complement the extrovert but also then you know I'm I'm a hidden introvert like you know I have spikes of extroversion but actually I'm relatively introvert like when I when I want to get stuff done um, and that was one of the hidden pleasures I feel of corona right that like there's a lot of pain that came from it I had it like it's it, it's a really bad period and at the same time it allowed to have this reflective space and to really dive down into ideas a bit more and I think that is the beauty of serendipity that a lot of times yes an extrovert type person might have more incidences of it, right? More kind of potential dots that are there, but not necessarily a higher quality of it. And so there's a lot of things we can do um, that are introspective that allow us to have something similar because, yes, it's one way to get that kind of dots, to get those from conversations, but you might as well get them from like reading something or you might, you know, a lot of times you might solve a problem because you coincidentally see something in, in, in the, on the shelf or something like that. So that's more about ourselves, you know, training ourselves to connect the dots, whatever we see, whatever we do. And it doesn't need any extroversion for that. It's really just about training um, that, that we, whenever we hear something or look at something, we think about, oh, how does this connect to other things? And then, you know, serendipity starts to happen. Okay. So we've learned to spot serendipity. Now we need to act on serendipity. And so, of course, I, 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 this happened to me last week, actually. I saw a journalist in the park down the street who I've been trying to get in touch with. And I wimped out. I'm going to admit it. Um, and, and, I, and I did not act upon that moment of serendipity. I've seen her twice, actually. So I failed there. So what are the decisions that we can make, the choices that we can make that can allow us to act on our serendipity? Once we see serendipity as a process of like, there is this trigger that happens, right? You see that journalist, but then also you have to do something with it now, right? You have to connect the dots with him in some way or with her in some way. You have to, to, to go for it in some way or the other. And one of the things that I've realized with myself, but also a lot of people around us, is that if there is like a certain kind of threshold of maybe not feeling worthy or not feeling kind of um, ready or not in the right mood or, you know, there's all these kind of emotional, psychological barriers that we might face that might not make us feel ready for it. Um, to give you an example, I, I talked with this wonderful um, um, 
a, a person in, in London. He, he's very involved in the restaurant business. And I would ask him, so, so how often do you have serendipity happening? And he would be like, well, before I was 25, never. And then afterwards, all the time. And it's like, well, what changed? And it was like, well, I started to feel worthy of the opportunity. And I think that is especially something I've seen that with people who maybe grew up in tougher conditions where we're not supposed to be the person who does X, Y, Z. And so we have these kind of internal limitations that we set ourselves. And, and a lot of times that holds us back from the potentiality that could come from serendipity, right? And so I've actually found that one of the most effective ways to feel ready for serendipity is to really work on this kind of idea around self-confidence and around kind of this idea of, of worthiness. And that also really being something as a leader that is so important to impart into people we work with, right? That like they are worthy of opportunity, um, that ideas, you know, there's, there's a lot of work around psychological safety, for example, around how do we make people feel safe that in a way when they have an idea come up or something that they know they won't get shut down for it or, you know, essentially that you feel more confident that you can raise things. And so I think, long story short, like it's so much about how do we essentially let go of limitations and unlearn some of the patterns that maybe we had in childhood or, you know, I feel most of us probably have an imposter syndrome deep down in ourselves and like, uh, you know, getting, getting, getting used to that. And also something that I found really useful for myself is to just really think about like, what is the worst thing that can happen in a situation like this in the park? And I've realized for myself, the worst thing that can happen is the regret of not having talked to the person. So it's almost like everything else you're doing, even if you completely mess it up, is probably still better than not having done it because every situation you can reframe at some point, but not having done anything, it's just lost, right? And so I think this kind of Mark Twain idea of, of we will regret the things we haven't done, um, I think is one of the nicest limitation removers I've found that in a way, if you don't do it, that's what you will regret. So Christian, how does this differ among different types of people? I mean, we're, you and I, are, we have a lot in common, but you're German, I'm an American. People listening to this show are all different people. So what are the kind of personality types when it comes to the serendipity mindset? You know, growing up in Germany, um, where people love planning and they love this idea of mapping things out, you know, and so everything that is ambiguous, I was like, oh my God, like, I don't need a lot of ambiguity. But then my entrepreneurial side would also be like, oh, there's something in there versus like, I feel, yeah, when you're in other cultures, you know, that are um, maybe primed a bit more kind of towards like risk taking and, and other themes, um, it, it might come more naturally. But one of the things I found fascinating is that I feel there's generally... If I, if I would need to bracket people into two brackets uh, in terms of if you, if you see about if you see the bigger patterns, it's there's people like you and, and others around us and the people I've, I've studied a lot that intuitively cultivate serendipity, right? So they intuitively do it. And so it's about giving them an active language to say, this is not that you didn't that you this is not about you failing to plan this is about you having a certain north star having a certain idea of where you're going but then being open to the unexpected so you're able to actually proactively lead during uncertainty so it's an active approach to leadership but a lot of times it's disincentivized because in companies or so we have to portray this illusion of control um, where you know you always have to be in control but actually you're not and so for them it's really about saying hey look here is an active language for you of how cultivating serendipity is the most effective approach to leading during uncertainty for the other kind of let's say 90 percent of the world population that might say, oh, like serendipity, that's something that happens mostly to other people. And it, it, I have it once or twice, but it doesn't really happen to me that much. It's really about saying, hey, look, there's a way of how we can cultivate this in our own lives. And there's, there's, there's clear patterns here we can do about it. And so I've seen then, especially with those people, that it has the biggest impact because it can really change how people look at life and how people see, you know, turn anxiety 
like in my case, right, ambiguity and uncertainty would be anxiety when I grow up versus now I see the joy in the unexpected because every moment there could be some kind of meaning in it. And I think that's really, you know, how some people have their like Bible next to their bedside table. I have my Viktor Frankl and, and his kind of search for meaning. And in that book, right, this idea of like you find meaning in any kind of situation if you are actually open to doing that. And so I feel like, you know, Those kind of people who might not have been that open to it yet, I feel that is where the biggest impact comes because you can really reframe a situation then. And one of the things you said just now that really struck me is that in order to have this mindset, we have to fundamentally accept the fact that we don't control the world and that the world oftentimes happens to us and we have to look for meaning in the good and the bad. And so it makes me think about reframing the bad things that happen because Even in the bad things, we can look for opportunities to learn, to grow, and to become better people. No, that's a great point because that is essentially this idea that we can't choose a lot of the situations we're in, right? We can't choose that COVID happened. We can't choose that, you know, you end up in a bad situation. But actually, when you look at serendipity as a process which a lot of times might start as a crisis, right? Or it might start, like, for example, in the case of my companies, it would start with, oh, there was a financial crisis or there was an almost bankruptcy. But that forced us to think differently about it. And by doing this, then actually looking back, it was the best thing that could happen to us because we would think maybe a bit less about budgets and a bit more about creatively other options and, and stuff like that. And so one of the beauties of serendipity is it depends on when we look at it in time, right? And that a lot of times... What might look as bad luck, right, like something like a car accident or whatever it is, might actually turn out to be pretty good luck in the long run. And so I think taking the, the, the long run perspective and like even if in the short run something doesn't work and letting go of the sense of like perfection that like needs that everything always needs to be perfect and always striving for being good at whatever we do. But actually also realizing that a lot of times in imperfection, that is actually where the really interesting new things come because by definition, we need experimentation and we need things that don't work to then lead us to the next potential path. And I think, again, this is the beauty of serendipity. The potentiality comes unexpectedly and it doesn't have to be a threat once we don't see it as a threat. Christian Bush, the author of The Serendipity Mindset, The Art and Science of Creating Good Luck, Thanks for being here for my very first and hopefully not last socially distanced interview. Thank you so much for having me. FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens? Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages, but I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. 
And now it's time for the faux moment of the show, and we're going to talk about some listener mail that came in, but I also want to tell you a little bit about how I met Christian. Christian is a great example of how serendipity plays out in our lives. Basically, I had been talking to somebody out on the West Coast about doing a virtual event with them, and they had just done an event with Christian, and they connected us, and of course, we started talking and realized we knew a bunch of people in common, had a lot of shared interests, and we actually lived just down the street from each other. Christian is about a 10-minute walk from my house, and so we were able to meet up in person and it's just great to know somebody who has similar interests, who's written a book that I think is is really powerful and also uh, has a lot to do with the kind of things that, that we talk about here on the show. Now, the reality is that for a long time, I didn't think much about luck. I was taught from a young age that you couldn't rely on serendipity and you needed to focus on things that you could control and work really hard to have success. But as I've gotten older, I've realized that those introductions that people make to people like Christian, they happen all the time. And a lot of times we can be tempted to just keep moving on without appreciating the fact that that there's some luck involved with that. But nowadays, I firmly believe that there is serendipity around us. And as Christian talks about, we can cultivate that and listen to it and live more successful lives because of it. Now, I want to bring all of this together with a conversation that we had earlier this season with Vikram Mancharamani, the author of Think for Yourself, Restoring Common Sense in an Age of Experts and AI, which was all about the lost art of being a generalist. After that episode, I got an email from listener Brian O'Sullivan, hey Brian, who wrote the following to me. He writes, I think that being a quote-unquote generalist heightens awareness of countless parallels, including between the physical world and the human psychosocial world. I've long been fascinated by laws of nature that manifest in the form of human experience. For example, opposites attract or friction generates heat, etc. One that I've observed is the law in physics that the coefficient of static friction is greater than the coefficient of dynamic friction, meaning it requires more force to move an object or move yourself or a group when it's sitting still versus when it's already moving. I'm not sure what to make of this law, uh, the laws of math and physics sometimes manifesting in our human experience, but it appears that some of the earliest generalists, like Aristotle, were onto this. Now, I read that email uh, a couple of times because Brian uses some pretty big words in there, like human psychosocial world. I had to look that up. But his point, which is really interesting, is that you think about these these laws of nature, and oftentimes we don't connect them to how we behave with each other, but he is making that point. And so if we think about these ideas in the context of today's topic, serendipity and luck, it occurred to me that the same reasoning applies here as well. To quote Brian, it requires more force to move an object or move yourself or a group when it's sitting still versus when it's already moving. So if you're already looking for these things, if you've already gotten to the mindset where you are looking for luck and serendipity in your life, you are far more likely to be able to spot it. And it makes sense to me. So thanks, Brian, so much for sending that. If you have a comment or a question or, or an idea uh, with lots of big words in it, you can also write to me. And if it is something that catches my eye, I would love to feature it here on the phone moment of the show. And with that, season four of FOMO Sapiens comes to a close. So thank you again for joining me this season. Keep in touch over the break and take care of yourselves, FOMO Sapiens. FOMO. And that's the end of another episode. If you have an idea, a story, or a question, you can find me on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, and at www.patrickmcginnis.com, where you can also take the official FOMO Sapiens diagnostic and find out if you're a FOMO Sapiens. FOMO Sapiens is part of the HBR Presents Network. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstrom. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it at Spotify and at iTunes. And as always, you can find me at patrickmcginnis.com. 